right. Good morning, church. Good to see you all. Before we get into the message this morning, just a couple of quick uh, things to bring you up to date on. You know that March 19th, we're moving to three services, 8, 9, 30, and 11. And last week, I said that uh, we've identified some of the more urgent needs that we have in order to make that happen. So I'm going to throw a slide up on the screen here real quick and just uh, point them out to you. They all have to do with our, our kiddos. So our nursery and Walker volunteers need a few more uh, in that space. Preschool lead teachers, elementary lead teachers, and then we need some dudes to step in and do some crowd control in some of those elementary classes. All right, fellas? So step up, man up, and step in. Um, having said that, let me say that the safety of our kids is of the utmost importance. So everybody that, that volunteers that serves gets an absolutely thorough background check before they step foot in that space with our kiddos. So for more information, you can hit the website, and then also you can call the church office uh, as well. And then for our 55-plus crowd, our cornerstone uh, group, our, our church family members that fit that demographic, they're having a get-together this Thursday night. And uh, I think they're having a potluck or a covered dish, depending on what part of the country you're from, however you term it. And they're going to put me on the hot seat. So it's a Q&A time with Pastor Jason. So that'll be fun. Bring your best shot. And that'll be, uh, again, this, this Thursday, this Thursday night. And then also want to let you know that we have a job opportunity here at the church for an accounting manager. I'm not even sure exactly what that is, but... That job description is on our church's website as well, or once again, you can call the main office and they can tell you more. So if you got your Bibles, uh, here's where we're at, Matthew chapters 5 and 6. So for the last several weeks, we've been opening up the Bible and we've been listening, reading about this, this sermon given by Jesus, and it's near a hill or on the side of a hill north of the Sea of Galilee. And he's been laying down some really heavy, profound principles He's been talking about what it means to live a righteous life, what it looks like when a person subscribes to heavenly kingdom principles as opposed to earthly kingdom principles. It's pretty radical stuff, and, and by and large, the people seem to be eating it up because it's, it's like this is the life that everybody wants to live. So he's, he's been talking about be a peacemaker. Don't be the person that causes drama and conflict. Be a peacemaker. He talks about keeping your word, personal integrity, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He's talking about living a life in purity. Don't look at that man or that woman as nothing more than a sex object. And then what he does next is quite brilliant. Because he actually addresses a new temptation. And that temptation comes as a result of all the things that he's spoken of already. Because what, what can happen is, is when you are living a righteous life, all of a sudden something creeps into your own heart. And the tendency is to say, look at me. Look what a good person I am. I'm so much better than you. If only you all could be like me. Because, you see, I stay away from all the bad things in life. And I do all the good things in life. And so what happens is righteousness can actually turn into self-righteousness. And so therein lies the new temptation. So this message is for anyone who has ever struggled with pride, ego, 
arrogance. It's also for those who struggle with wanting others to pay attention. We got a little bit of that going on in our world today. It's for those who care a little too much about what others think of them, how they're perceived. So Jesus speaks directly to it, Matthew chapter 6. And once again, he uses the religious leaders as an example of what not to do and be. It says this, beware of practicing your righteousness. Now think of righteousness as simply doing right deeds. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret, he's the one who will reward you. So... When I was a younger pastor, I struggled with this, like, a lot. I cared way too much about what other people thought of me. I mean, even to the point where, like, if I was leading in prayer, I would be thinking, how do these people perceive me? Right, like, what are they thinking about me as a spiritual leader? And then I put a few decades on my life. And you realize that... And the, the applause and the pats on the back come from fallen individuals, fallen humans. And, and, you know, here's the deal. Humans can be very fickle creatures. The crowd can turn on you very quickly. Just say something they don't agree with. Press in a little bit, and all of a sudden you start to receive some fan mail. <laughs> Happened to Jesus, right? He rolls into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the people are screaming, Hosanna, 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 which literally means, save us, save us. Like they're literally throwing out the red carpet for him. A few days later, some of those same people are shouting, crucify him. Crucify him. Why? Because Jesus didn't meet their expectations. Oh, he came to save them, but not from the oppressive rule of Rome. See, they wanted a political savior, and Jesus is like, no, 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 you understand something. I didn't come here to establish my politics. I didn't come here to save you from an oppressive Roman government. You see, first and foremost, I came to save you from yourself. And the people were like, what are you talking about? We don't need to be saved from ourselves. There's nothing wrong with us. And Jesus is like, oh, no, see, that's the problem. You're not very self-aware, but one of the most easily verifiable truths coming from the mouth of Jesus is that men and women are born into a dysfunctional relationship with the God who created them. And that, my friends, is the reason why the world is so jacked up. But they didn't want it. Crucify him. So people can turn on you very, very quickly. Um, Now, Really interesting choice of words here that Jesus uses to describe those who fall into the trap of always wanting human 
approval. It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, the Greek word here for seen is theophanai. And it's, it's really interesting because it's, it's where we get our English word theater. Later, he says, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Hippocrates. Hippocrates. That's the Greek word for hypocrite. It's really, really fascinating word because it literally means one who wears the mask. In other words, what he's saying to religious people is, you're nothing but an actor. You're all actors. It's like you're on the stage wearing a mask, pretending to be someone that you're not. It gets really, really tiring wearing masks. And you know why a lot of people wear masks in life? Again, I think this is especially true in our culture, especially with the younger generation, but in culture at large. There's this predominant thought that if you get to know the real me, you won't like me. So I need to figure out who you want me to be, and I'll be that person. This is why even on social media, it's all about image control. And so much of it ends up being fake. It's, it's like, it's like that, that social media is, is the stage, and they are wearing the mask. So Jesus speaks directly to it by speaking to uh, the heart. And, and what he's going to do is expose the hypocrisy uh, in three ways. So religious people are really good at using spiritual things to elevate themselves above others. And in Jesus' day, there were three ways they did it. Number one, through their giving. Number two, their prayers. And number three, their fasting. And so Jesus exposes their hypocrisy. Now, why does he do that? Because even religious people need to be saved. Because see, remember what he's setting up now. He's laying down these kingdom of God principles. And so some people are going to be drawn to him. They're going to be like, I'm doing all the do's and I'm avoiding all the don'ts. I'm so good. I am so much more saved than you. And and, and, and now Jesus is like, "Now, now here's the new temptation for you. We got to talk about this. Now you've just become self-righteous. Yeah, right. It's like you become the person that other people want to avoid and have nothing to do with Christianity or attending church. So we, we have to speak to it. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they were, they're receiving their reward. What's interesting is that Jesus assumes that his people are giving. He doesn't say if you give. He says when, when you give. Um, and Jesus spoke a lot about money. Uh, it's a lot about money. And you're like, why did he speak so much about money? Well, it's really not about the money. It's about what the money is attached to. That's why Jesus was so hung up on him. We spend our money on what we value, period. It's not, even an, it's, it's not even a discussion. We spend our money on the things that we love, the things that are important to us. And so this is why Jesus said, if, if I wanna know the location of your heart, then I'm just gonna follow your bank account. That's it. And so even as he's having these conversations with, with people who are like, man, I, Jesus, I really wanna be close to you. Like, like, tell me what it's gonna take. You know, what do I have to do? And it's really not about doing, it's about who you know. It's about being in a relationship with Jesus. And so, but Jesus is like, all right, we'll play this game. What, what do I have to do? There's this, this guy comes to him, he's, he's young and he's rich, and Jesus is like, here's what you need to do. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And the guy goes away and he's like depressed. He's 
depressed. Why? The text says because he owned a lot of stuff. And so what's happening is Jesus is like, Jesus isn't like, hey, I'm really trying to, you know, I'm really trying to um, like fill my own pocket with your money. So give this. That's not, that's not, all, not at all what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I really want your heart. But see, right now, the thing that your heart is set on, it's everything but me. It's everything but me. So that's why it's been said that one of the last things to fall under the lordship of Jesus is your bank account. So it's not about the money per se, it's about your heart. If the rich young ruler would have been hung up on some relationship or if it was something else, then Jesus would have called that out. But the reality is for many is it's, that's the issue. We end up idolizing and worshiping the things that our money follows. So along the way, um, Jesus emphasizes a couple of really important things just to make sure it doesn't get lost on everybody. So there's a moment when, when Jesus gives an example of what generosity looks like. And remarkably, it's the person who gives two pennies. Two pennies. There's this elderly widow comes to the temple and she throws in two copper coins, two pennies. And Jesus is like, hold up everybody, time out. Did you see what just happened? That woman has given more than anyone else. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? She gave two cents. And Jesus is like, yeah, but understand that she gave sacrificially. In other words, that's going to cost her something. In other words, what he's saying is the location of her heart is not found in the things that she's owning and possession, possessing. The location of, his, of her heart is such that God wants me to be generous, and so I'm being generous, and now I have to trust him to provide for my needs. That's a heart issue. It's not the person that rolls in and just is dumping money and all the cash, writing big checks. That's not actually the example. The example that Jesus uses, by most everybody's standards, would be money that you would not bend over to pick up. <laughs> you gotta love it, you know, you gotta, Jesus is so radical, like he won't fit into your box. So I, I, um, I love this verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, this is really what it is. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And here's why, because God loves a cheerful giver. It's the idea that you would give knowing that all that you have has been entrusted to you by God, so you're just a steward of it. This might surprise you, but I think people in the valley, I even think people in Scottsdale are actually quite generous. I know it's been called Snotsdale by a lot of people, but people in Scottsdale in the valley, they can be very, very generous. And I, 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 I think that people understand that it, as Christians, our giving goes in two directions, one to the house of God, and then it goes to the poor. And that's what you see all throughout the scriptures, right? Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the apostle Paul says, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? So in other words, Paul says, listen, it's not wrong for us as those who labor in the Lord to, if we are, if we are investing in your lives spiritually, it's not wrong for us to ask for material things in return. And Paul doesn't, I can guarantee you, Paul doesn't have a fat bank account because at one point this guy is gonna end up in prison. But he's like, listen, I've got my needs met because the saints have been generous in supporting the ministry. So here, here's a question for us all to think about, and that is this. What if everybody, what if everybody on the planet had the same spirit of generosity as I do? What would the world look like? What would this church look like? 
If everybody, if everybody in this room had the same spirit of generosity with their time, their talents and their treasures, if everybody had the same measure that you have and employed those things in the same way you do, what would this place be like? You know what it would be like? There would be no space in Scottsdale that would be big enough to contain us. Right? They just wouldn't. So this is, again, this is a heart issue. By the way, this is why we, we love partnering with so many different groups that share our heartbeat. If you go on our website and you look at all of our local outreach partners, Scott, Pastor Scott and his team have done such an amazing job. By the way, you guys can be praying for another really unique opportunity that has come our way. We've been asked by uh, the chaplain at the Lewis, at Lewis Prison if we would run some services for them around Easter. And so we want to step into that space. And then more so, but you really pray for this. There's been discussions about taking the service and live streaming it in the prison for them. So be praying about that. You know what I'm saying? Because here's the thing about it. And we've got some guys from different walks of life here. If you come to CR, Celebrate Recovery, we have an amazing relationship with Teen Challenge. And <clears throat> here's what some of the, the men and women will tell you. You can be behind bars and be more free than you've ever been in your life. Let me say that again. You can be behind bars and be more free because you've given your life to Jesus Christ than you were free on the outside. And so be praying for these opportunities. But this is the reason why we have these is because, you know, it's like you heard me say so many times, these aren't just words beyond our walls. It's like when you leave here, you are literally entering the mission field where you represent, you are this, the Apostle Paul's like, great, I love this description. He's like, let me just, let's tell you who I am. I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Love that language because an ambassador is a goodwill representative of some other place. It's exactly what Jesus is saying. You're all kingdom of heaven ethic people, right? Now let's go lay it down. Here, let's do this. When we leave this place, let's give everybody we encounter a taste of that heaven. You can do that. See, that's the application of the Sermon on the Mount. So some of you are like, man, this sounds really great, but, but my reality is, th is that <sighs> my money totally controls me. I don't control it. That is the reality for the vast majority of Americans in general. So we want to help. You heard Nate talk about Financial Peace University, but I'm going to bring some friends up here real quick just so, that, so they can share their testimony. This is Callie and Derek. Come on, give them a hand, will you please? It's not easy always. Not easy. Man, it's not, all, all, it's not always easy stepping up here and just sort of saying, like, here's our story and here's where you know, our journey and where we've been and where we're at. And, um, and I think they'll tell you that, you know, they're still in process with it. But I asked them to share a little bit about, you know, um, how this has helped them. And, and quite frankly, in an effort to just sort of nudge some of you toward that direction. You know, you realize that, that conflicts over money, that's one of the, the big three that actually separate marriages and ruin relationships. And so tell us a little bit about your story. Morning, church. Kelly and I have been on our debt journey since we left New York City six years ago. Moving with us cross-country was a load of debt that we knew we were going to need to tackle. We had credit card debts, medical debts, prior tax debt, and the largest was school debt. 
Coming from a city where living paycheck to paycheck was norm, we knew we had a long road ahead to financial freedom. <clears throat> but we were excited to come home to Arizona, knowing we, were, we would be able to make that more of a reality. Admittedly, however, for five years after moving here, we made a bit of progress here and there, and sadly only took a Ramsey-ish approach to paying off debt. Our track resembled more of a roller coaster than that of a steady progression. That all changed when we found out one Sunday that Financial Peace University was being offered here at Illuminate. <clears throat> we signed up immediately. We came into the class overly excited to begin taking real strides in knocking out our debt. While attending the class, it was great to see where we began and where we ultimately have ended up so far. The class encouraged us and helped push us to, be, to being more thoughtful of where we were putting our money and forced us to be more intentional about breaking the habits we had created surrounding our spending. It also helped to give us the tools that we needed to navigate life changes. We knew that we were going to have to do more work after Kean, our son, was born to continue to live comfortably. During the course of Financial Peace University, we learned a ton and the class helped, to, helped us learn how to take the steps to get out of our car lease and into a better, uh, into a beater, sorry, a beater. A beater. <laughs> that we paid 5,000 for. This was a, better. <laughs> well, it is better now, but. This was a journey though. <clears throat> we took out a loan to buy out our lease, turned around and resold the lease for the full value and then some. That took some serious bargaining by uh, Callie here. <clears throat> um, sorry. Serious bargaining on my part. Okay. Which, on is, my part. which is another set of helpful tips we gleaned from the course. And I kept a straight, she kept a straight face with those car dealers the entire time. I was able to take what we learned mm -hmm. from our class and from our teachers and we made great money back. This allowed us to purchase 2004 Honda with 168,000 miles for 5,000. Unfortunately, we had to do immediate repairs that cost 2,000, but we made 7,000 so we broke even. <clears throat> we were also able to pay off our final credit card and the student loans. Mm -hmm. We still have one car loan, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> we still have one car loan left, but, the plan, but we plan to get gazelle intense again soon. We did lose our focus recently, but having our teachers Jonathan Sonnet to check in with us often helps keep us motivated. We would highly recommend anybody and everybody signing up for Financial Peace University. You will truthfully find financial freedom. We definitely go to bed more at peace knowing that we have the room now to continue to set goals and pursue our dreams of owning a house one day. It's a fantastic feeling seeing God's continued blessings upon us, being wiser from pushing ourselves to work through the course, and having the continued support from our advisors, Jonathan and Sai. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Yeah, just to reiterate what I said earlier, there's no shame in participating. Jill and I, when we were newlyweds, we went through the same kind of stuff, and it just is, it's so good. It just kind of sets not just your mind, but your heart in the right place as well. When you open up the scriptures and you say, this is what God is calling us to do and be with what he has entrusted uh, to us. So take advantage of that. You can go to the website, just type in Financial Peace University, and it'll pop up all the information. Class starts next week, six weeks long at 10.30, right in the conference room uh, behind here. So um, real quickly, Jesus emphasizes then, it's not just what you give, but it is how you give, most importantly. Apparently there were some people who literally, if you can imagine, played a trumpet, can you imagine? They literally played a trumpet and announced that they were giving to the poor. And Jesus says, 
If that's where your heart is, then your praise has already been given to you. Because really what you're seeking, see, it's not really about the gift. It's about what you get in return for it. And so you've already received your reward. I have a friend who took an overseas job uh, with his America, um, company that was based in America, and he ended up moving to the Philippines. And while he was there, he found a small church, and he and his family started to attend. And he loved it, just loved the community and just loved being there. And he tithed off of his American salary. And so on one Sunday morning, the pastor got up and said, we would like to acknowledge someone very special in the room today. And so my friend thought, oh, this will be interesting. This will be cool. Maybe it's like a visiting missionary or a guest speaker or musician or something like that. And the pastor mentioned my friend by name. And he called him up front. And he handed him this little plaque. And the plaque literally said, biggest giver. And so afterward, my friend said to the pastor, just consider all my donations anonymous from here on, right? My friend had it right. You know, he had it right. When we give, we don't give because we expect to get something in return. We give simply because Christians, this is who we are. And this is what God calls us to do. He took a humble posture in it and imitated Jesus. And I think that's really the key in all of this. It's humility. So in the first century AD, there's this church in Philippi. And in some ways, you know, they got a lot, lot, lot going on, a lot of good things happening. But there doesn't seem to be the kind of perfect harmony that the Apostle Paul is after. Philippians chapter 2, he writes this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, if there's any affection and sympathy, all of these things are allowed to be uniquely Christian to the Christian community. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord and of one mind, and do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's really hard. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of his servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Woo, that's some rich theology there. Here's what he's saying, a couple of things, super important. He's talking about Christian unity. And by the way, this is true in any relationship that you have, whether it's a family member, a neighbor, a coworker. The secret sauce in these relationships that you have, if you want there to be unity, there has to be humility. Humility breeds unity. You catch that? Humility breeds unity because the person who isn't humble is the person who's like, oh, I'm always right. I'm never wrong. Right? The person who doesn't take a humble posture is the person who says, well, I'm, I'm not the one who's to blame. You are. The humble person says, hey, you know, hey, that one, that's on me. That's my, that's my bad. 
I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. See, that's the posture of humility, and that's what breeds unity. It could be that you're having dysfunction in your relationships because you got two people posturing up, and there's no humility. And it's the same thing in the Christian community. So wouldn't it be great if we had an example of someone who displayed this, this raw humility? Right? Well, I mean, like humility to the extreme. That's why the Apostle Paul goes on to say, have this mindset, because that's where it begins in your mind, that Jesus had who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking. This is all, this is all very interesting language, but how else do you describe it? Here's what he's saying. Let me unpack it for you real quickly. He's saying that Jesus, in his preexistent form, because the Bible talks about Jesus existing before the creation of the world, he had all the rights and privileges of deity. So when he comes on the scene, He's actually claiming the deity that the Jews believed only belonged to God. And Jesus is like, actually, no, we share that. So before Jesus came to the earth, he had all these rights and privileges that he set on the shelf. And so he emptied himself of those things. And then, and then he, he really, really took humility to the extreme because he became a man. So here you have deity coming in the form of man. So in order for that to happen, he has to empty himself of all those rights and privileges. So he comes to the earth in full humility. Now, how far does he take it? That's why the text says, even death on a cross, he would allow humans to torture and crucify him. That's humility. That's thinking of others as more important than yourself. By the way, he's our leader, everybody. Jesus doesn't just say it, he does it. And uh, this is what he leaves for his followers. It's a mindset. But if you're doing your stuff before people in order to be praised by them, you've already got your accolades. And that is actually a dislocated heart. It's in the wrong space. And kind of cool because Jesus says God will reward us for our righteous giving. So here's a question. What is the Spirit of God saying to you? What is the Spirit of God saying to you? Maybe you're here and you're like, I'm hearing some things I've never heard before about who Jesus is. We would love to have that conversation with you. I'd love to have that conversation with you. You can reach out to me. We can talk more about it. Maybe the Spirit of God is saying to you, more humility, Maybe you care a little too much about what others think because really in the end, this is all about an audience of one. Maybe the Spirit of God is, is telling you to step into some space that feels uncomfortable with your own generosity. Maybe if anything, really what he's saying is just be reflective enough to evaluate the location of your heart and where it truly is because that's what, it's, that's, that's what Jesus wants because if he has your heart, there's gonna be real transformation in your life. And then, here's the deal. You will experience the kind of life that you've always wanted to live. Jesus in John 10, 10 said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. He's talking about a quality of life, not only here and now, but in the life to come. So, lastly, Jesus, he makes this beautiful statement. He says, you know, if you confess me before people, I will confess you before God. That is, I, I love this. That's the audience of one. You know, because you're gonna be in these situations in life where you're gonna feel this pressure not to divulge what kind of kingdom you subscribe to because the world puts a lot of pressure on you. 
Jesus says, if you confess me before people, I will confess you before God. It's, it's like you say, hey, I, I wanna make a public declaration of my faith in Jesus Christ. And then when the time comes, Jesus says to God, this one's with me. He's with me. She's with me. And I promise you, that's what you want in life. So what's really cool about this moment is we get to hear from some people that are gonna do just that. They're gonna make a public declaration of their faith in Jesus, and that's what Christians refer to as baptism. That's just all about being identified. And in some ways, it takes a little bit of bravery to do this because as we do it in our style, we have people come up and share their stories, and there's power in the story. It's really hard to argue with someone's personal transformation. And the thing I love about the way we do it is we get to be reminded that God is in the business of changing lives every single day. So I'm gonna pray, and these folks are gonna come join us. Father, we ask that you would continue to just mold us and conform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, because it is for our good and ultimately for your glory. Father, we're grateful for these people that are gonna come and, and share their stories even now. I pray that you would give them a special measure of your, of your spirit as they do so. Thank you for their example as well. We ask it in the name of your son, Jesus, and God's people said, amen.